And we'll do it live. Do it live. I'll write it. We'll do it live. <laughs> I'll write it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Welcome to the film sommelier with Caleb Brown and his brother Ben Brown. Hello. Hi. I am your liaison, Charlie Dice, and today we're talking about a movie that uh, is relevant because we've got a sequel coming out soon. You may have seen the billboards with the lovable family of superheroes. Uh, the Incredibles. The Incredibles 2 comes out June 15th, and in preparation, the Story Locker team is putting together a Shortcuts episode to go over what makes The Incredibles so incredible. Mm-hmm. Caleb, why don't we start there? You are something of a, a film connoisseur. You you imbibe a film like a sommelier imbibes good wine. Uh, what did you? What notes did you pick up? Or maybe maybe before we get into the the specific notes, we can just talk about uh, the Incredibles as a as a fine film. What does it do right? Well, I think it's worth noting that like in two thousand five, like what were some other movies that you remember? that were released at that time. It's like, um, especially in the action genre, like, so it was, I mean, the incredible stands out as a, as a release of that year, you know, people are still talking about it 15 years later and they'll probably be talking about it in another 25. So, uh, that's a sign that it touches something more than just that cultural moment. Although it touches on that too. Uh, it says some, it speaks to, Something universal and human um, that that you know puts it in classic territory. You know, not 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 every film. In fact, maybe not even uh, not every year produces like a classic. Uh, and so I think uh, The Incredibles deserves to be called one. So 2005 was was a bad vintage, if you will. But yeah. something was going on in the Pixar Pixar vineyard that was working. In general, uh, what do, what do Pixar films? What's who's their target audience? Yeah, Pixar is um, like uh, what Bach is to the fugue. Pixar is to the four quadrant family film. So this is this is this is a, a genre of of animated film that tries to go after all four of the big demographics, like the the young kids, the young adults, the parents, and the grandparents, and so. Pixar has has a great formula for doing that. Like uh, a movie can be appreciated on a kid level and an adult level at the same time. Uh, uh, and one of the things that makes Pixar unique is, unlike other studios, they don't acquire scripts. They don't they don't have a carnivorous development model where they buy a bunch and try and filter down and make the best of that and, and probably lose money on most of the ones they do make, but make it all back on a big blockbuster like Wildcatting. No, they have a more like agricultural approach to uh, developing scripts. Um, they try not to give up on any of their ideas, and they give them like five years to germinate and grow. Uh, I think they've only pulled the plug on one project, as far as I know. Uh, something about a newt. Uh, actually, that's a great story to actually drill into. <laughs> it was. Huh. I forget the, the setup was so juicy. Um, like the yeah the last two species of newt in the world, uh, but they hate each other, uh, like this male and female newts. But they they couldn't make it work because it's like you're, you're building towards like you know sex in a children's film, <laughs> so you can't. So they ended up uh, finally abandoning that idea. But for the most part, they just stick with their ideas for five years, you know, 
uh, our compatriots down south in Southern California don't do that um, for the most part. Yeah. As a business model. Um, yeah. So without the proverbial sex, drugs, and rock and roll, what what does Pixar use in terms of their storytelling? And let's look specifically at The Incredibles. How do they put together a story that has stuck in our memory almost 15 years later? Hmm. You know, I, uh, every time somebody at Pixar brings forward a story, they pitch it to the group. And that's how they sort of determine what movie they're going to make next is they, um, yeah, people internal to the company make pitches and, and inevitably the pitch has some form of autobiographical reference point. So like with inside out, uh, Pete doctor talked about how, you know, his daughter was the most joyful person he'd ever met in his life. And then she turned 11 and she suddenly got moody and like an irritable, uh, self-conscious and he was like what's going on in her head and that was like the germ of like oh what if we told told a story about that like her emotions or characters inside her brain and so um like every pixar film starts with something like that basically they start with uh an empowered creator who has something who has an experience that they want to communicate to an audience um that's visceral that you know you say it in a room and everyone goes, oh, and they lean forward a little bit. Like, I, yeah. Um, so Brad Bird, he didn't think he was making something personal, but he was. Like, he had uh, he had a success in, well, not a financial success, but a kind of commercial, like a critical success in Iron Giant, his first animated film. And uh, he got lots of meetings and pitched a lot of movies, and they got nowhere in the swamps of Los Angeles. And he got really frustrated. He had a young family. Uh, and so he was facing a decision point between like, can I do the work I love or do I need to do something else to support my family? He spent a long time in TV, uh, kind of grinding out, um, a living that way, but he really wanted to be in films. The film thing wasn't working out. Um, uh, but what happened was John Lasseter invited him up to just relocate, uh, set up shop at Pixar. And he brought with him this idea uh, that he'd been working on. Uh, the, this this family of superheroes that were in a witness protection program, uh, where the the father goes off on an adventure and his family has to save him. Um, so the movie is charged with this emotion of like, uh, why can't I do what I love to do? Uh, and I have these obligations here that feel that I you know I, I love my family. I feel held back by them at the same time. Um, I, do I have to die to this thing that I really love to do? And the film wrestles with that viscerally. Like, yeah, I can't watch the movie without feeling like, oh, man, I know this emotion. Um, and I think that's just what comes from uh, deriving a story from from a, a visceral place that people easily recognize when you tell the story. Okay, and so full disclosure here for our listeners, we are midway through this Shortcuts episode, and we just completed our first uh, rough cut, which we dubbed the Terrible Incredibles Shortcuts episode. And uh, Ben, I, I see you smiling over there. Uh, what, what, what do you think, um, you know, yeah. if, if we, how are, I can relate to the story of, of the uh you know, wanting to be an empowered creator, but finding that there are all these little obstacles in the daily life. It feels like the day just starts to descend on you and these mundane chores start to build up until 
the day is just gone and all these hopes and dreams that you had get washed away and there's there's little to show for it. But you were very adamant when we set out last week to come up with a rough cut that we at least finish it. So what what was behind your thinking and what do you see as the tie-in to the the theme of the movie Incredibles? Oh, that uh gosh, I don't know. We got we had to do something. <laughs> like we had to we had to make something even if it was terrible. Like we just had to check it off the list and it was yeah, like it, it took mundane tasks to get it done. Um uh, I definitely agree that like there's like a feeling of wanting to do something amazing and there is something amazing like amazing capabilities that uh that like we have but they don't get uh appreciated or they don't have an outlet to go for and it's um and like even if you like even if you do find an outlet you um like what do you do in the rest of the time like what do you do when you have to fold your clothes or wash dishes or complete a a checklist of things that just have to get done every day and, uh, like yeah i i think i don't know that i don't know if incredibles like gets into that directly but um there's this like sense that if you're not doing the thing that you're incredible at then you're not you're not being you or you're not uh you're not actually living your best life or or something. So I, I think that you have to like reconcile, even if you are a, like a super person, like like who are you in the moments that you are like in tedium of these small things and you have to pay attention to them. And so like to use, for example, like last week, you know, I really wanted to stop and let's just find a script that we loved and we didn't feel like it was, you know, unworthy of our time to build uh yeah but your message was like today matters too uh you know just you know make something even if it's terrible for to give today it's due Uh, Mm. and i think that's compatible with the theme of the incredibles it's like pay attention now because small things have big consequences yeah and at a technical level of writing the story and putting together this action film that isn't quite an action film or it's not a typical action film anyway how can we point to specific places or or tools techniques that uh, Pixar and the makers of this film are using to convey that message to the audience that small things have big consequences that there is uh, that there are that you can become incredible by mastering the domain of the mundane I think the kind of the, the the torchbearer of that idea in the film is actually Helen. Um, she is the one who is paying attention to all the small things and each small thing in important plot points. She notices something small that ends up being it tells a part of a much larger story. Um, I don't know. I, I can think of three right off the top of my head. It's like she um, when Bob comes back late from quote-unquote bowling she finds a little bit of rubble on his shoulder and like oh bob's been doing it again he's been going out trying to be a superhero uh, listening to police scanners so she got that from a tiny piece of dirt on his shoulder um similarly she discovers uh uh, a white hair uh, on bob's clothes and and so this one kind of descends into like a, a jealous 
um, yeah, specter. It's like, oh, there's another woman. And there is, but not exactly uh, in the way she was thinking. And then finally she notices like a small repair job done on Bob's old suit. And she knows. Like just that, just the sight of that one little thing tells her Bob is back <laughs> to trying to be a superhero. Um, something that she's been trying to like uh, keep from ruining her family for the last 15 years, that impulse. Um, and then there's, you know, she's tuning to her kids. Uh, she feeds that baby uh, like it's the most important thing she's doing. Uh, she believes that taking care of her kids and keeping them safe and educating them, that that is like a small thing today, but a huge thing in the long view. Um, and the last note would be that like, in the climax of the film, it's it's Helen who's handling like a, uh, a remote. Like a remote, a small thing, is what's going to defeat the invincible robot. Um, and so it's Helen who manipulates the remote to save the day in the end. Um, those are just a few examples. There's also like, um, in the sequencing, they, they always wanted to kind of put back to back a really mundane scene and like a really like fantastic scene. So Bob and and Frozo in the car just talking. Uh, and then an enormous blaze and they're like jumping through walls and saving people. Uh, uh, there's another one that escapes me. But the iPad scene. Oh yeah. So they had, that one's that one's a more intermingling. It's like when Bob first gets his secret message on the iPad like device, you know, he's getting constant interruptions from his wife trying to get him to come uh, come back to dinner. So he's just received his mission. He needs to save the world and his wife is nagging him to come to dinner. Yeah. And so there's humor in that scene and it's based on some sort of tension where these two worlds are colliding in the extreme. Uh, what kind of, I mean, in general with action movies, we often get just a, the, the hail of bullets and explosions and the nonstop uh, high, high pressure situations. Uh, what do these scenes of home life do at the level of the viewer and how they're maybe even how their thinking has changed from experiencing this movie? Yeah, I mean, it's a really audacious choice to like take a movie that is an action premise I mean, it's not just an action movie. It's it's adventure and a superhero movie and a spy movie, like kind of all wrapped into one. Um, but the, the new flavor that it adds that's not as common is like the tedium of everyday life. Like, you know, with most action movies, they cut out the part where, you know, the the superhero care. Like, you know, when Tony Stark, if Tony Stark gets a call from his, um, you know, his dry cleaner <laughs> or something, um, like... Pixar went been, been over backwards to cram as much like little things into the movie. Like it's it's actually really amusing when you go back and rewatch it, you know, a dozen times like we did. Like these little moments, like when Frozo is uh, putting on aftershave or like doing his hair, and, and the robot shows up. <laughs> it's uh, um, there are a lot of little moments like that. Um, you know, one that was in Brad Bird's pitch was um, Helen. She's sneaking around in her new outfit, and she takes a look at herself in the window, and like, ah, her butt's not the size that it used to be, and it's a little disappointing. <laughs> it's like these these little moments that are so just, and, and you would 
you would think they would be out of place in an action film, but like it combines to make a really satisfying and, and audacious tone. And not only is it is it fresh and interesting and funny, it's also meaningful because of uh, the point that they're driving at in the film. Like to pay attention now, big things come out of small things. Um, the mundane and the fantastic are not worlds apart. Um, uh, you can be incredible right now. Um, by paying attention to the things that matter. I'd say that the, or like, if I can ask, like the, the trend, like the, uh, having, uh, superpowers and then normal life and combining them is something that's like a little bit more like known now. Like mm-hmm. it's something that people have, have done, you know, yeah. I, I guess heroes like, on, yeah, I was thinking yeah, heroes or, um, I guess like. You know, it's like the Incredibles getting shawarma at the end or something. But like, <laughs> or so the Avengers, yeah. The, yeah, sorry. The, uh, like, so it's like that's something that ha- like is getting like more traction, and it's like a lot of Netflix stuff. But like, this was two thousand five. Like, uh, I guess it's like the Incredibles must have like broken that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny. It was kind concept. of contemporaneous with the um, um, with Batman Begins coming out, uh, not not too far um, away from The Incredibles. And Batman Begins was the beginning of kind of like um, superhero films breaking out of a sort of geeky subgenre into like mainstream, like, oh, now that's a film, Batman Begins. And so like um, superhero films got a real shot in the arm and they became like prestige films almost. You know, like The Dark Knight is just, you know, an amazing film. so the Incredibles, in some ways, like, uh, yeah, try to go like a little less serious in a way, um, uh, or it, actually, I don't consider it less serious. It's just the, uh, uh, it's just it's just a surprising direction to take it at a time when superhero movies were just beginning to become like um, the thing. We had a conversation in one of our writer writer room sessions about what Shortcuts really is about, who it's aimed at, and the tone of some of our writing was kind of aimed at someone who might be trying to replicate the success of Pixar. But I think mm. you commented, and maybe you can uh, frame this the same way that you did, about how if you were trying to make The Incredibles today, pretty much the only way to do it would be to make The Incredibles 2. Yeah. yeah. Or it combines, I mean, it, th- this combination of genres and uh, just the, the sort of the budget that it takes to do the, the animated action film with such attention to detail of, of the, the little things going on. And the, uh, I think, for one, it's funny to look at how human character animation evolved from Pixar's first feature film that had humans, which was mm-hmm. Toy Story. I guess that was their first feature film. His first computer animated feature film ever of anybody's, yeah. Right. And the the people in that movie look a little bit creepy. You kind of want them yeah. to get off screen as soon as they're on screen. <laughs> yeah. Whereas in The Incredibles, they, they figured out a way to sort of make them more charming. And I don't know if that's just a, a result of kind of more technology and more of a budget or if there is something else going on, you know, what else are they doing at the level of characters to make us relate to this this story? 
Yeah, I want to parse two questions there. Like, one is like, what are they doing with human beings that makes it work this time? And the other question is like, um, yeah, that I want to address is like, you know, how would you imitate the Incredibles, which I'll get to last. But uh, yeah, Pixar has an amazing just technical development team. Like, talk about a fusion of left brain and right brain people all in one spot. It's kind of like a Steve Jobs hallmark. Um, did that at Apple and like uh, helped get Pixar where it is now. So like just an intense amount of effort on R&D. And so what they came up with was, uh, you know, human skin on screen um, looks terrible uh, in older computer animation because it's like, it looks like plastic. It looks like a bunch of dolls walking around. And... And so what they they discovered a technique called subsurface scattering, which makes it look more like what skin looks like, uh, sort of, um, sort of a, a you know a skin tone, but underneath you can sort of get the sense that there's actually blood underneath. Um, it, you, there's there's close-ups in the Incredibles where it's just like man, that's that's a lot of work right there. Um, the they also they also wisely decided to make kind of um, caricatures like the silhouettes of these people they're not like anyone you've ever met like the way bob's nose like comes down uh yeah. on his forehead and it's like concave yeah yeah everybody has a pretty exaggerated um features and silhouette which also helps uh we're not we're not thinking it's going to be literal it's not the uncanny valley yeah like like yeah. the first final fantasy movie like people I mean, what, what, I mean, I can't imagine. Or Polar Express. Yeah, Polar <laughs> Express. Yeah. Beowulf. Like, these were not, yeah, these were all kind of at the same time. Um, yeah, so that's another example of like, oh, we have these new tools. Yeah, let's try and, let's try and make it as realistic as possible versus like, no, let's move the other direction. <laughs> let's kind of like abstract it a little bit. Uh, um, take it one, one step removed from, from what we see every day. They like uh like to like to that point like they also nail the movement. Oh um, yeah. It's like you know I watched for you know good half a minute uh, Bob getting up and down from a <laughs> in a scene because it just looks so laborious. It looks so. You can tell there's there's a there's a bone structure yeah. and like muscles underneath. It and takes like, yeah, all yeah, all it this sequencing. Of, yeah. Uh, I think you were saying that there's a that they they had like a go to team. At Pixar to to like really nail like picking up a car fast and then slowly putting it back. Yeah, down. for whatever reason, like this was in the commentaries, like a, a team of Spanish animators could really do heavy objects well. Like Brad Bird didn't know why, but it was like all these Spanish guys they could just. It's like the big robot crash yeah. and the yeah, it feels yeah. so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing work. They were probably taking siestas in the <laughs> evening and. <laughs> Drinking some Spanish wine and then coming Working back. Late into the night. Feel, yeah. yeah, feeling yeah. creative. Keep it, yeah. Keep yeah. it going. Um, so and the second question. Yeah, the second of, question is like, yeah, if you get the chance to see the video essay, like, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, in order to make a really great action film, you need to slow things down, uh, include more mundane life. Um, I think that was a that was just a very specific bit of genius that worked for the Incredibles and it had to do with the timing and it had to do with the theme. So like, if you really want to imitate the Incredibles, you can only do it on the most abstract of levels. Uh, come up with an audacious, uh, um, subverting of a genre, 
like they did with action movies, and then subvert it in such a way that it actually serves a resonant theme that is both uh, that that resonates right now and like you know with universal human principles. Um, also, you need to pair that with like Disney Disney distribution and financing uh, combined with uh, an independent studio that gives their creators an incredible amount of control. So really, you put that together and really just, uh, there's only a handful of companies that could do that. Like one would be Pixar, and then increasingly, like, um, yeah, Warner Brothers Animation and the Lego movies are operating more like that. What would a viewer who's trying to pick out the the finer, subtler notes, going back to the wine analogy, if we have a movie and we're trying to just enjoy it more, uh, what can we learn either from this movie or other movies about the the art of watching films in general? Yeah, I um, uh, you know, I moved to LA because I wanted to know what directors knew about filmmaking. Um, like, I'm not a practitioner; I don't make films aside from films about films. But um, yeah, my my advice would just be to watch it once and enjoy it, you know. And then after you've finished it, like kind of trying to remember the parts that really stood out to you, uh, all the emotional markers of, you know, dread and of enjoyment, um, and just kind of jot those down. And then the second viewing, what I'm looking for is, all right, who, who's the character that changed the most? Who's the heart of this film? And if you can identify that character and you can kind of affix a, a single simple sentence to like what changed about them. Uh, and why, then you have some real philosophical meat to play with. Um, and that's the process, part of the process I enjoy the most is kind of kicking around um, different combinations of uh, who's the heart of the film and like what does the film mean then, uh, given how they changed. And then after that, I kind of look back at the, um, you know, the, uh, the commentary, of course, but also looking at little things in the background, like you'll find. Um, you know, film is a visual medium. It's not like novels. You can't put a lot of philosophical information. You can't put abstract information into a film. It's got to be concrete in some way. So there's different, but you can still do abstract ideas through concrete stuff, whether it's symbols, whether it's manipulating color, whether it's repeated musical cues, um, lines of dialogue. So uh, then I'm on the lookout for the how the theme gets expressed in concrete ways in the film because I think that's the real magic of the medium. Yeah, I, I think I can speak to being able to taste the right, I don't know, tannins or whatever in a movie now. Like, uh, having spent, I don't know, more than a decade listening to you jabber about this. <laughs> like, now it's like, yeah, like, I'm, like uh, unfortunately, like, my standards of movies have gone up <laughs> now that I pay <laughs> close attention. But it's like, yeah, before it's just kind of like, it's like, oh, what can numb my mind or what just is kind of enjoyable or, you know, there's nothing really to it. But How can I kill two hours? Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, but uh, I've actually, yeah, I found a lot of, um, yeah, like kind of like just enjoying, enjoyable, like kind of mental gymnastics uh, to like get to the end of a film and then still like if, yeah, if something resonates with me or like. Um, thinking about characters or like what was the what was the director thinking and I guess I, I know a lot more of the 
technical side sometimes, um, but I, like really breaking down the story, like like you said, like finding the character that changes or, or even that I like uh, relate to and like trying to suss out a theme ends up like, yeah, it, it, it helps with the enjoyment. It helps with like the memory of it. And it's like, like whenever you have a theme and you're like, oh, yeah, I got it. I know, I know what they're talking about now. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's like informed all of their like choices down the line. And it's like, that's why they had to have that scene or that music. And it's like, man, what a feeling. Uh, and, and I think that too, like uh, one of the big things was like using yourself as a barometer for how well the story's doing. Kind of like uh, experimenting with an in a one. Like you're in the movie and it's like, it's like, oh wait, it's like, why is my heart racing? It's like, why do I have the feels? Like, why am I tearing up? And you can like kind of pace yourself back, uh, you know, in the movie and like um, really find something and or maybe like yeah, really unfold, a, like unpackage something that like is explored in the film world that like you you couldn't have really put words to or um and yeah I, I think it's lovely I, you know it's like i've definitely you, you can enjoy really great movies on a really really high level yeah caleb you talked about helen as the character who maybe best illustrates the theme of small actions having large consequences yeah but- although it would be bob who learns that lesson uh so he would be the heart of the film Right. Um, so, so how does Bob as a character change and how does this speak to the theme? And I guess just kind of restate the theme as, uh, as concisely or as non-concisely as, as you want. Uh, I suppose if you, you kind of you bring it down to a, a question. It's like, how do you stay incredible in a mundane world? And Bob, through... Yeah, the first half of the movie, his strategy is to escape, escape the mundane, live two different lives, one with your family that you're not really all that interested in, and then your fantasy life that you're completely interested in. Um, and what, yeah, the, the events of the story, and particularly like the faithfulness, like the, uh, the efforts of his wife in particular, um, bring him to the understanding that um, he's, he, yeah, he's been a bad father, and he has been missing some really incredible things that were right around him. Um, like, take, for example, like, you know, by the end of the film, he has a team of superheroes. He's a part of a superhero team again. He didn't know he was doing that, but he was. Um, uh, you get a sense Helen did. And, you know, like, it's not a complete one-way to one-way impact in this story. Like, I would call Helen the agent of the story and Bob the patient, but... You know, Helen learns too. She learns to let let Dash be Dash sometimes. If 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 she's made a mistake, it would be like she hasn't really prepared her kids to deal with moments where they were going to have to be super. Um, in some ways, that's a blessing. Like you don't need to be super unless there's like a crisis. Um, but now that there is a crisis, she really needs her kids to be super. And Violet struggles initially, um, but she gets her confidence and through uh, graduated exposure and like yeah begins to step into her own superness. Um, so that was a little change on Helen's part, but it was Bob who, who needed to do the biggest attitude of judgment of, uh, I can be incredible where I am. I don't need the world to to uh, see me be incredible. All right, so this last question, 
Uh, we're going to let our imaginations run wild, and we are going to come up with our own superhero alter egos, what we imagine, based on something, some kind of goal or vision that we have of what our life would be like if we could achieve this kind of incredible factor. And then, along with that, think of the most mundane task that you dread that you have to do each day or each week or that, hmm. that maybe feels like it slows down your, uh, your achieving your, your incredibleness. So I'll go first. Hmm. My superhero alter ego is Boat Boy, or maybe it's Boat Man. I'm not sure. But uh, one, one or the other, depending on how mature I feel, I guess, at that moment. Uh, and Boat Man goes out uh, into the windiest parts of the ocean, maybe even into the hurricanes with some sort of, some sort of vessel that can just capture all of this energy uh, in, in some sort of storable, condensed form. But... Uh, but Boatman does not like putting the sail covers back on his sailboat <laughs> because that it just it's such a chore and it, it requires multiple people if you want to really do it quickly and it just you know it's like it's just a pain like you, you finish sailing the, the fun part's over and now you've got to do this this boring chore so do either of you have uh, have an idea yet I mean this is really just kind of off the top of my head but like superpower i'd like would 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 be able to see the math and everything you know i don't know if it'd be like i'm wearing google glass and it's augmented reality thing and i can just kind of like oh i wonder what the velocity i wonder what the acceleration curve of that of that soccer ball is right now or, the calculator you know. <laughs> <laughs> the calculator <laughs> yeah uh surely there's a better name quantum man <laughs> quantum Qu man i don't know bad. some sort of like um, <laughs> quant Quant, the quant. I think it's all about how yeah. you spell calculator. the structuralist. Yeah. <laughs> Get him on your engineering team. Yeah. Um, I mean, mostly I want that power because I, yeah, I don't have like a super math brain, but I admire, I admire it. Um, let's see. So in terms of like mundane stuff, I, mean, I was just thinking last night. I think the, the the part of my day that I enjoy the least is putting the kids to bed. Um, because they fight it and because, you know, I'm eager to get on to whatever the next thing is, whether it's, you know, a conversation or dessert or watching something or just going to sleep. Uh, instead I have to convince this little person that they really, really want to go to sleep and they disagree. Uh, and it's a fight. Um, so Maybe you can find the algorithm that will. Yes, put the child that's to totally sleep. what I need to do. Is I need to think of what what is the where's the math in this situation? And you blood know what? sugar, whatever <laughs> nice. moles per gram. Or... Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, biology and math. Blood sugar, acid, or uh, uh, what did ATP build up in the brain or whatever? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. can. Eat, I, I mean, I was thinking physics, but you should totally do biology. Bio, was yeah. Like, I was thinking like you know, bio measurement. When I lay her on the bed, how many? Newtons are, are holding her up Four in the bed right now. <laughs> uh, uh, what's the coefficient of friction between my shoes and the carpet? Those are all constants. You the know, calculator. The, the variables. The, <laughs> the changes. Uh, oh, you know, I think it's math magician. That's what I mean. Okay. The math magician. The math magician. <laughs> you wear a Donald Duck outfit? <laughs> <laughs> Caleb already wears a Donald Duck. <laughs> He's wearing one right now. Listeners. <laughs> Can't see this, but that's more of an old joke, I think. Oh well, what about you, Ben? Um, I guess I would start with the mundane thing that I'm 
I am uh, avoiding today, which is laundry. And so I think got I, a haircut. Oh my gosh! Yeah, a haircut. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd prefer to like have my hair shrink or grow depending on what I wanted. <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't think that's. Yeah, I hate that chore. <laughs> Getting a haircut sucks. The Yeti. Yeah. Can control his hair growth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that would be it. Um, gosh, I think I had a character, but now it's. No, the Yeti. It has the to be the Yeti. Yeti. Yeah. All right. Hair management is the worst. The Yeti excretes a. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> An enzyme that breaks down oils. It's a barbicide. Yeah. <laughs> barbicide. Well, you can look forward to. No lice to... in this hair, yeah. the Yeti. <laughs> I think that that is going to be a blockbuster sometime in the next hundred to thousand years. Yeah, it's it's just right for material. Matterhorn, some kind of yeah, spin on the the Disney ride, or was the ride based on a movie? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, well, no, but I am imagining now this. Kind oh, of like, I see. This hero story gone wrong, and he becomes a villain. <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot like the arc of the original, like you know, Star Wars episode one, two, and three. It's like you tell the story of a, a man who could control his hair growth. Uh, he had amazing hair. Nobody loved the Yeti. And so he became the abominable snowman. <laughs> yeah. He loses control cows. of his power and like, he's just all here. And, yeah. He's hideous. And shields yeah. himself from the world. How could we tie that? People. If we were making so, that movie in 2018, this is just the last question, hmm. Caleb, how would we make that resonant with some of the themes that are, that are going on in, in 2018? Oh, interesting. Target millennials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, millennial men in particular. I think like... Yeah, um, millennial men have not put uh, the kind of effort into conforming into like a structure of work and life and being outperformed by you know, the women of the generation. And so, like, what what is a what 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 are, what can you do? Like, do you uh, continue to escape and try and live a gambler's life of like oh, I'm going to make it big on my own terms someday? Mm. Um, or do you kind of accept what's being given to you, which is, um, yeah, probably, probably working for one of your female peers. Um, and so, yeah, Yeti would be about a guy who like, you know, refuses to settle down, but also refuses to, to, yeah, to accept his, uh, his lower station as a result of contemporary forces. Uh, and so he moves off on his own uh, and becomes a terrorizer, a monster, if you will. But maybe there's a redemption arc. I think that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what would, bring, what, would bring, what would bring back the abominable snowman and restore him? Love. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> the love of, yeah. The ice princess. I would say, uh, yeah, but maybe like the love of a boss. <laughs> oh, nice. Like somebody who's actually like, here, let me help you, like, Find a, a challenge that's adequate for your skills so that you can, like, spend four hours, eight hours a day just losing yourself and then come back and I'll tell you how good you did. And so you can reform yourself. It's like, it's like, you're not a crazy hairy person. You're a person who has control of your hair. <laughs> you have the greatest gift of all. <laughs> So 
like, okay, like, so they're making this for the spinning of wigs. So, like, a wig manufacturer uh, gives Yeti a purpose again. So, he, he regrows hair all day long and, and, and fashions it into live hair wigs. Yeah. For Free of lice at the barber side. Yeah, yeah. The, the finest, the finest in natural hair wigs. Mm hmm. From Switzerland or Austria or yeah. whatever it's the keeps his keratin up and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I'd love to shoot he, in Switzerland. So, yeah, hmm. it's definitely where he would land. You'd build up, you know, fifty, eighty thousand dollars of debt in America, and then you'd have to go to Switzerland to get away from it. Where it's more it. expensive. Well, yeah, but he has a different name, and he doesn't have that debt anymore. So he's eighty thousand dollars <laughs> more rich wow. in Switzerland than interesting in America. So it was he, like he became the abominable snowman to avoid his creditors. I suppose, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's hard to tell because you know it's like the the debt and the pressure and the the lack of self identity is really what drove him. But yeah. you know, he's avoiding yeah, yeah. the debtor, so it's, it okay, works. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they can't find him if he's not that clean cut, never get a haircut guy. Uh, yeah. So if he lets it go. I'm going to have to put a lid on this because I think that if we give away too many more details, then someone's going to steal our idea. Hey, yeah, yeah, <laughs> so the Story Locker players. officially copyrights this podcast right now. Yes, well, we've and heard... all ideas in it. <laughs> I don't think we can do that. Throughout the universe in perpetuity. <laughs> we've heard some wise words today from the film sommelier, and I'm going to be sipping on those for quite some time. Thank you, Caleb and Ben, for joining me. And uh, let's finish that Shortcuts episode before The Incredibles 2 comes out. Right. Let's do it. <laughs> A least synchronous clap. Yeah. Shows our unity, I suppose. Thanks for listening to the Film Sommelier podcast. For more insights into your favorite films, go to thestorylocker.com.